So I read a Facebook post the other day that said something along the lines of this. I don't understand how my Christian friends, and then in parentheses said, my supposed Christian friends, would never stand for blah, blah, blah. Uh, stated her own position on something. And I remember reading that statement on Facebook and, and, and getting a little bit frustrated and angry and upset. I'm not going to lie to you, I, I definitely cringed as I read that post. And it wasn't because I disagreed with what she had to say, she's entitled to her opinion, but what bothered me about it was that somehow, uh, her argument was that somehow, because I don't agree with her biblical interpretation, that I am not a Christian. I think the same can be true so many times when we scroll through Facebook or social media. Comment after comment, argument after argument, people claim that unless you agree with me, you're not a real Christian. And I've got to be honest with you, I have a problem with that type of mentality. See, in the United Methodist Church, we believe that Scripture is meant to be interpreted. It's not black or white. It's not crystal clear. Scripture is meant to be interpreted. It's meant to be understood through tradition and reason and experience. It's meant to be understood in community. Every time we gather and you hear me preach, you're, read, you're, you're hearing my interpretation. When we gather as a church, we gather and we interpret Scripture together. Scripture is meant to be interpreted, meant to be wrestled with, meant to be discerned. It's not one way and all the others are wrong. It's not you either agree with me or you're not a Christian. Scripture is meant to be interpreted and discerned. Now, before you completely disagree with me, I want you to, to listen to these texts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says this, Women should be quiet during the meeting, which would have been worship. They're not allowed to talk, and if they want to learn something, they should go home and ask their husbands. Listen to this one from Exodus 21. When a slave owner hits a male or female slave with a rod, and that slave gets up before dying, the slave owner shouldn't be punished, because after all, the slave is the owner's property. What about this one? You shall not put on garments made of two different materials. I think I break that one about every single day. What about this one from Leviticus? Everything in the waters that has fins and scales you may eat, but anything in the seas or streams that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and among all the other living creatures that are in the waters, they are detestable to you and detestable they shall remain. There are literally scriptures that talk about women not being able to lead, not being able to, to have a place in worship. And yet we break that all the time. There's women leaders and pastors in, our, in the United Methodist Church all over the place. There are scriptures that, that literally talk about uh, affirming slavery and, and affirming slave owners. Yet we worked hard to abolish that practice. Like I said earlier, we, we all wear clothing that, that is not made of just one Material and, and, and here in Louisiana, we have a whole season dedicated to eating crawfish, and the Bible says we're not supposed to. You see, Scripture is meant to be interpreted. It's not black or white. It's not 
crystal clear. It's meant for us to discern, to wrestle with it, to understand how it is speaking to us, to allow the Holy Spirit to move throughout the text so that God can speak to us through the the, the words, through the text, through the scriptures. Scripture is meant to be interpreted. Now, now look, we, we have, uh, this isn't a recent thing. It's not a recent um, uh, practice. Throughout years, throughout history, Scripture has been interpreted and discerned. Wars have been started over biblical interpretation. Churches have risen and fallen because of uh, disagreements with biblical interpretation. And if you still don't believe, uh, believe me in all this, I want you to take a listen to what happens in the Bible. Let's begin with Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. God is talking to Abraham. He's giving him all these rules and setting him up to, to, to what he has to do. And God says to Abraham, he says, every male around you shall be circumcised. Now, this became a very big deal for the early church, and even still today, but, but it became a big deal because circumcision was a sign that you had a covenant with God. They were the chosen people, and the way to know that was because they were circumcised. And the church lives this out, lives this practice out from the very beginning beginning in Genesis with Abraham all the way through Scripture. By the time we get to Acts chapter 15, remember, this is post-Jesus. Jesus had already died, and he's already resurrected, and, and, and he's risen into heaven. But, but in chapter 15, there's a problem. It's a good problem, but there's a problem. The church, this this Jesus movement, has grown beyond people's wildest imaginations, so much so that Gentiles are now being converted. Now, Gentiles is another term for non-Jewish people. You and I, we're Gentiles. We're not Jewish. This Jesus movement is spreading so much and so fast that Gentiles are now being converted And in the midst of that conversion, in the midst of that growth, a problem is brought up to this council, to these church leaders. And the question is asked, okay, if we're reaching Gentiles, we know they're not circumcised, and we've been told for a long time that we need to be circumcised in order to be in relationship with God, in order to have covenant with God. And the question is asked, do we expect them to be circumcised or not? Do we expect them to have an adult circumcision or not? Do do they need to be circumcised in order for God to do something special in their lives? And so in Acts chapter 15, we have what's called the Jerusalem Council. The, The church comes together, church leaders come together, and they hear debates from each other. It says that there's people on the council that were Pharisees, that, that come from the line of the Pharisees, who, who argued that, that the, the Gentiles needed to, to, to be circumcised, that that's the way it had always been done, that had always been their practice, that they needed to do that. There were people on the other side, so Paul and Barnabas, who, who were arguing that uh, you know, the, the, these, these people have, have not grown up in our tradition, and they haven't grown up the way we have, and, and, and we can't have the same expectations of them as we've had on us. And so there's this huge debate. And by the end of it, James, the leader of this council, he says this, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles 
who are turning to God. Now, did you catch what's happening here? For thousands of years, the church had said, circumcision is a must. If you want to be a part of this movement, if you want to be a part of this covenant with God, you have to be circumcised. And all of a sudden, and let me actually say this too, this was biblical. This was in their, in their Bible. This was in, in what they would have considered some of the holiest of holiest scriptures. And all of a sudden they say, you know what, for you Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised. This church leadership, this church community got together. They discerned scripture. They interpreted scripture. They, they, they put it up against tradition and reason and experience. And, and they decided as a community, the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. Scripture is meant to be interpreted. Look. There's something that I find very powerful about this story in Acts 15. I have a feeling that even though that decision was made there, by the time they left, not everybody agreed with the decision. I have a feeling that by the time they left, they weren't all on the same page. And I say that because they're human and we're human and we tend to not agree all the time, right? But, but also they had come with, with arguments beforehand and, and they debated amongst themselves in that council. My guess is that by the time it ended, even though they made a decision, they didn't all agree. They weren't of one mind. But the beautiful thing about this story is that if you keep reading through the book of Acts, the church keeps growing. People keep being reached and keep being transformed. People keep being converted into this Jesus movement. The church explodes at this time because there's something contagious about it. People want to know about Jesus. People want to know about God's grace. People are becoming a part of this church movement. Even though that council probably didn't agree, didn't have one mind, didn't think alike, the church continued to grow. See, I think they understood something very important. It's not their biblical interpretation that saves them. It's their mission. It's God's grace. They are not bound by a, a, a united, a uniformed mind. They are not bound by this idea that if we all think alike, then the whole world will be transformed. They were bound by this idea that if our mission is the most important thing we do, even if we disagree, the church will still be, the world will still be changed and transformed. You see, they were not of one mind. <clears throat> they were not of one mind but they were of one mission, to bring about heaven here and now to all people, to help people experience and get to know God, to get people to experience God's grace and love and mercy. They were of one mission, to bring about heaven here and now. See, they understood that they probably were never gonna have biblical uniformity, but they were gonna have missional unity. And that truth is as true for them as it is for us. We will never have biblical uniformity, and that's okay. I might never agree with some of you, and you might never agree with me, but that's okay. 
Scripture, if Scripture is meant to be interpreted, then we're never going to have complete biblical uniformity. But there are some things that we have to hold together. And for me, that's our missional unity. We have to believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave. We have to believe in grace. We have to believe that we're forgiven. And we have to believe that we have to share this message with the least and the last and the lost and the lonely. We may not have biblical uniformity, but we have to have missional unity. You see, I'm a Christian if I disagree with you. And I'm willing to accept that you're a Christian even if you disagree with me. We will disagree, friends. We might never think alike. Scripture may speak to us differently. But as long as we keep the mission ahead of us, as long as the most important thing is to share the gospel with people, this message, this good news of Jesus will continue to spread. See, but here's the problem. I think we're making it more about biblical uniformity. Everything I see on Facebook, everything I see on social media, even some email threads that I'm a part of, we're just trying to convince everybody to think alike. But I want you to remember this. That council, when they gathered to decide what was going to happen with circumcision, they walked into it and they weren't of one biblical mind. And I am convinced that even though they came up with a decision, they still weren't of one biblical mind. And the reality is we probably won't either. But we have to, at whatever cost necessary, we have to place the mission of bringing about heaven here and now before everything else. So here's a question. Can we stop forcing one another to think alike? And instead, can we take on this mission together? Can we stop arguing about who's right and who's wrong? And instead, can we focus on bringing about heaven here and now for all of those who are last, the lost, the lonely, the least of these? For all those who have yet to experience God's grace? For all those who feel like uh, hopeless? For all those who feel like the world has got, uh, uh, that the world is too much to, for them to handle? For all those who feel like, the, the, like the, their, their past is too much and, and their past defines them way too much, can, can we place all of these needs in this world as the priority? And even though we disagree, can we say our mission together is to bring about heaven here and now for all people? And can we choose to be in mission together even when we disagree with one another? I truly hope we can. Let me say that again. I truly hope that we can. We have to stop this senseless fighting amongst one another. And we have to start living out this mission together. Let's bring about heaven here and now together. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, it is hard it is hard to be in community when we disagree. But God, it is even harder to be in community when we're trying to convince everybody else to think like us. 
God, this week with uh, the debates at hand and, and with the election coming up and uh, with, with so much um, arguing on social media and, and with so much tension and, and between families and friends. God, I pray that we may be able to put aside our, our biblical interpretations. God, may, may, we, may we put at the highest priority bringing about heaven here and now, helping people encounter your grace and your love. May we place that above arguing with one another about who's right or who's wrong. Because God, that is our mission as Christians. That is what we've been called to do. And God, that is what we choose to do. Amen.